displays, and now the text is really small. So I was like, I'm like, what is going on here? Clearly there's something to be said here this morning or there would not be that much resistance. That's right. So, um, ghosts in the machine, man. We just take, uh, take authority over those. So we're doing a series. We're starting a series this morning on kingdom cultures. You can bring up the first slide, Sherry, if you would, please. Um, we're starting a series here this morning on kingdom culture. And um, so this morning we're going to talk about just sort of the foundation of culture and really the foundation of um, what Jesus has done for us, to us, and through us. Because ultimately, the kingdom culture and the culture of change begins inside of us, right? And Jesus doesn't change us externally. How many people know that, right? It's a very important understanding for the believer to know that the gospel is not based on externals. It's based on internals. And if we don't understand the internals, we will never make known the externals. And so a lot of times what we do is we govern and we teach Christians to govern themselves through external behavioral patterns. That's called discipline. Okay, Discipline is good, but ultimately it is the lowest form of discipleship. So you understand that. It is the most primitive form of discipleship is to try to govern yourself externally. You actually have more difficulty governing yourself externally because the power is not in the externals. The power is in the internals. It's very important to understand. Now there are moments, and this is what discipline is for, when we're not fully operating off of our internals, right? And so we discipline ourselves to operate correctly. But ultimately what God would have us to do is to walk in the spirit and to operate according to the power that works within us. We understand that? It's really big. You would be amazed at how many believers don't get that. And I listen to pastors in the way that they teach the things of the thing, and I'm not judging, and I'm certainly not you know, disapproving or anything like that, but I'm just saying I, my perspective is, is that there's something that we're not saying, and there's something that we're not revealing. And so we're, we're going to talk about as the kingdom culture, I want to talk to you this morning about the cultural change that's happened within us, and that that cultural change that happens within us is ultimately to affect the world around us. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what the culture of the kingdom actually looks like. So first of all, what's culture? It's a measurable set of beliefs and expressions. So when you go to a store or you go to a country or you go to uh, homes for even that matter, you're going to be able to understand there's a culture to that place. You know, we talk about that. If you were to go to Target, Walmart or Kmart, they all ultimately are the same types of stores. In each one of them, there's a, you get a different cultural experience when you go in there, don't you? You get a different feel. You get a different vibe. You get a different everything. When you go in there, when you go to different countries, you get a different feel, you get a different vibe, you get a different understanding. And there are things that different cultures value more than other cultures, right? So Americans value certain things, uh, Africans value certain things, South Americans value certain things. And then when you start breaking down the countries, you'll see cultural values across uh, borders that are completely different. One of the things with Miami, and this has always been a fascination to me, is that in Miami we have a lot of Latin Americans and Central Americans and island uh, people. And while a lot of times they'll be speaking the same language, the commonality of Spanish, the cultural beliefs and the cultural perspectives couldn't be more different. What the Cuban values is not what the Puerto Rican values, and what the Venezuelan values is not what the Colombian values, and, and, and I was always like, wow, that's really interesting. So there's a difference in culture. So culture is an expressive, uh, a measurable set of beliefs and expressions. Kingdom culture begins in understanding who we are. So the first thing we got to understand is we are called out of a world. Has anybody ever heard that before as a Christian? You are in the world, but not of it. You're called out. You're translated from darkness to light. We are not 
part of something. We are part of something different. We are a people of heaven. We are ambassadors of Christ. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, which means not just because it's the way we, we, manner, we manage our externals. It's not about management of your externals. It's about manifesting the internal. That's a saying. We should say that together. <laughs> say it is with me. It's not about managing my externals. It's about releasing the internal. Releasing the power of the Spirit. That's what it's about. And so as Christians, we're part of a culture. We're a city within a city. We're a city on a hill. We're different. And I know in a world around us, a lot of times we don't like being different, but the fact is we're different. But that, what being different as a Christian in heaven's eyes is not being less than, it's exceptional. We're an exceptional people. We're victorious people. This is, what, this is what the gospel teaches us. And so the first thing we got to understand is that kingdom culture begins in knowing who we are. And, where, and where we, where, what, what that means. Because the first revolution of kingdom culture begins within. And it's the idea of being born again. If you ask most people if they're Christians, they're going to say yes. Ask them if they're born again. And if they can't tell you what that means, chances are they're not born again. Because they're born of the Spirit. Lots of people have intellectual knowledge and believe that they're Christians, but their hearts are not converted. And the Spirit does not reside in them. The spirit does not reside in intellectual belief. You can believe with your mind because the Bible never tells you to believe with your mind, does it? It says believe with your what? That's exactly right. It's with the heart we experience conversion, not with the mind. The mind doesn't understand any of this. The mind actually, according to the Bible, thinks all this stuff is nonsense. Thinks it's foolishness. The gospel is foolish to those who are perishing. Whom the God of this world has what? Blinded their eyes or blinded their minds. The gospel is foolishness to the Greek. And it's a stumbling stone to the Jew. The Greek looks at it, or the intellectual mind looks at it, and says, this is stupid. You guys worship a man who said, who a God who said he became man, was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and rose from the dead? You guys are idiots. Because they don't know what they're talking about. Because they've not experienced the conversion. They've not experienced it. If you really think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to the mind, does it? If you really sit down and go, Jesus became, God became man through a woman, lived sinlessly, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, died for our sins, and said, if you put faith in me, I'm going to release my spirit into you, and you're going to become born again. It makes no sense. Why? Because God takes the weak things of the world to destroy the strength of the world. God takes the foolish things of the world to destroy the, the, the wisdom of men. It's not in human understanding. All right? So the first thing is to understand that we must be born again. Jesus answers as a guy comes to him, Nicodemus. Nick comes to him at night. Nick at night, right? says, most assuredly, he says, Jesus, we know you're a man of God because you do things that nobody else can do. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the patronizing comment, but let's get down to the real business at hand here. I say to you, Nicodemus, in other words, what you just said to me is irrelevant. I didn't come here for you to shower accolades on me. I came here for a purpose. I came here for a mission. And that mission is that you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? See, he's reasoning it through his intellectual mind. How can a man be born again a second time? Can he go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus answers him, and this is a message to all who would teach the people of God. Jesus answers him and says, you must be born of water and born of spirit. And, and, and if you are not born of water and born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. Because you cannot see the kingdom unless you're born again. And you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, for the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, and you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of a spirit. They're from another world. 
They're coming from an entirely different perspective. They're coming from an entirely different set of beliefs. They're coming from an entirely different place to be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And here's the message to those who would teach. Jesus looks at him and goes, you've got to be kidding me, right? You're teaching my people and you don't understand this? You are instructing the people of my, my sons and daughters and you don't get this? If I teach you of heavenly things, if I speak of the earthly things and you do not receive them, how will you possibly comprehend if I actually begin to unfold to you the real spiritual truths of this? So this is what he's challenging Nicodemus. He tells him you must be born again. Next slide. So what does that mean to us? That the first, the first revolution is inside of us and we must be changed internally from the heart by the spirit and the culture within you changes. Your nature changes. Can I get a witness? Is anybody here who's had their nature changed? Right? Okay, it's the spirit of God. That's the first cultural change that must take place. The culture inside of us must be changed. We're born of the Spirit. And he says, three, he says two things here. You cannot see the kingdom of God because it's all about the kingdom. This is a big debate. And, you know, and I haven't talked to anybody about it lately, but you know, we've had in the last, probably last year or so, we had this debate and we talk about this stuff a lot, sometimes with pastors. And I feel like the Lord is really emphasizing to me the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of salvation. This freaks everybody out because Jesus never proclaimed the gospel of salvation. And people say, when I, they think when I'm saying that, that I'm not saying salvation isn't important. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is we do not understand the fullness of what Christ has come to bring to us. So we say, it's the gospel of salvation. Read your Bible. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the rule and reign of God in breaking into the world. To his people and through his people. You are born again for a purpose. You understand that? What we treat it as is we get saved and then we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs until Jesus comes. That's the gospel of salvation. The gospel of the kingdom says you get born again, enter the kingdom, begin to rule and begin to learn to operate within the dominion of God and begin to release it into the world and into your own life. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world and then the end shall come. He didn't say the gospel of salvation will be proclaimed in all the world and then the end shall come. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He says, when we finally understand that the gospel is about the dominion and the rule and the reign of God into the life of the person, through the life of the person, and into the world, when we finally get that, the end will come. Then the people of God are ready for the kingdom. Then the people of God are the rule and the reign of God. But until we sit here in primitive knowledge and in primitive understanding, until we, and those who are fully grown need me. When we, were, we have to put away the childish things and take upon us the things of the kingdom. You understand that? This is why we get Christians and they got to get saved every 30 minutes. Why do they got to get, you don't need to get saved again. You're born again. As you've received Christ, so walk in him, the Bible says. That's what you need. You need a fuller understanding of who you are and you need a fuller understanding of what he's called you to be. So that's the point. Anyway, I don't know why I went off on that, but there we are. I just give myself to Jesus when I come up. I'm like, I got a lot of stuff to say, Lord. Right now that I want to say, that you, if whatever you want to say, you say it. So what it means to be born of the Spirit is we become a new person. We are a new person. We are a new expression. It means that we have a new way of living and a new way of, everybody say it, thinking. That's right. We don't think ordinary. We think extraordinary. Say this with me. I will not think in terms 
of limitations. I will think and believe in terms of possibilities. You see the difference? Everybody wants to think in terms of limitation. God has never told his people to think in terms of limitations. In fact, every time you find them thinking that way, he's correcting them. Nicodemus right here is thinking in terms of limitation, and Jesus is correcting him. They wouldn't want to go into the promised land because they were thinking in terms of limitations. And Jesus corrects them and says, your perspective is wrong. We're not to think in terms, and here's another one. This is another thing I feel like God's been telling me to sow it into this church. Say this with me. The devil is always pointing to my deficiency. God is always pointing to my inheritance. Which voice am I going to believe? See, it's a battle of voices. The enemy is always pointing to your deficiency, who you are, who you're not, who you think you are, what you don't have, what's going to go wrong, all that other stuff. The Holy Spirit is always pointing to your sufficiency in Christ, who you are in him, into the power of the Spirit. All things are possible. That's where the Spirit's wanting to take you. So if you end up over here and you're thinking this way, don't you dare say it's the Holy Spirit because it's not. Holy Spirit does not lead you into limited thinking. Holy Spirit frees your mind. Right? Like Morpheus. Free your mind, Neo. You can jump the building, bro. That's what he's telling. That's what the Spirit of God is trying to bring us into a realm of possibilities. We're a new people, a new way of thinking, and we're a new people, okay? If, that, if, if Christ died for all, this is important. Let me give you a little background on Corinthians, on the Corinthian church, so that we can understand what's going on here. Corinthian church is what, what we would term as Christians gone wild. It's true. Here's a group of people living in this crazy city, and they received the gospel. They received Jesus, and they received the Holy Spirit. And these people are manifesting the gifts of the Spirit like no other church in the New Testament. They're prophesying. They're speaking in tongues. There's healing. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this church. And you see more of that than you do in any other church. But what you also see in this church is a lot of crazy sin. They didn't know any better. Okay? I mean, they're doing everything. They got prostitutes, and they're not only got prostitutes, not an issue of your prostitute or whatever like that, coming to Christ, but they're thinking it's okay to stay a prostitute. They're thinking it's okay. They have one guy in one of the books, in 1 Corinthians, guy comes in and he's got his father's, his father's wife. Well, it's not his mother. It doesn't say it's his mother. It's probably his father's second wife. So his father remarries, and the son goes, hey, how about you and me, you know? And so he, then they're coming to church, and the church is like, oh, this is great. Wow, wonderful. You two together now? Wow, that's fantastic. And Paul's like, you've got to be kidding me. Really? You know, one taking your father's wife and all this stuff, and you guys are celebrating this? This was the mentality that these people were operating off of. And so if you can understand the thinking that they were coming out of, you can understand why, G why Paul writes to them the way that he does. Right? Looks like this. He died for all of us, that those who live, we should what? Say it with me. No longer... Live for ourselves. Revelation right there. But for him who died. So who do we live for? Do we live for us? No. Do we live for our will? Do we live for our purposes? Do we live for our way of thinking? No. We live for the one who died for us. Therefore, because of that, now we regard no one according to the flesh. We not look at ourselves in terms of our former life. 
We don't look at yourself in terms of who your mother says you are, who your father says you are, who your nephew says you are. You don't look in terms of who you even say you are. You regard no one according to the flesh, including yourself. You are not to regard yourself according to your former life. You are no longer to identify with your genetics. You are no longer to identify with your physical lineage. This is a huge shift. This is a shift that has to take place. We are the royalty of heaven. We are the born-again sons and daughters of God. Jesus said, who is my mother, who is my brother? In other words, I don't identify with my earthly lineage. Your earthly lineage, I hate to tell you, this is good news for some and bad news for others because some of you are very proud of your earthly lineage. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. And so long as you cling to that, you will dull the ability of God to move in your life. Your earthly lineage matters nothing. Your spiritual lineage matters everything. That is everything. Therefore, from now on, we are not to regard anyone according to the flesh, for we now know Christ in the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer, because Christ is in the Spirit. Therefore, if anyone, say it with me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are, all things are new. In other words, check it out. And so we quote, we quote that, we quote this verse that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, but we don't often quote the verse above it that's telling us to stop thinking of ourselves in terms of our old life. Well, I'm a new creation in Christ. That's true. But you also have to intentionally stop regarding yourself according to the flesh, who you were, and stop seeing yourself in that light. And you, in fact, I, you, know, you have to distance from yourself from people who all they want to do is see you as they formerly knew you. Some of you, you can't get away and you can't walk in your new identity because you are surrounded by people who constantly see you as you were. They knew you when you were this and that and the other. They knew you when you were all that. And they can see you no other way. And so that's how they relate to you. And no matter what you do, you can't break that hold off of them. So it's oftentimes you've got to distance yourself from those people. Okay, the Bible does that two ways. It tells Abraham to leave his father and mother and go into all the land. He tells the guy that's in the man of tombs to go back to his family. Probably because the man was so crazy that no matter, when he went back to his family, they were all going to go, wow, weren't you the crazy guy? So the difference would be he told Abraham to leave his father and mother, to get out of there because they will never see you according to how I see you. And because they won't see you that way, you have to distance yourself from them so that I can fully form you. Here's 1 Corinthians. He's talking to them, and these people are not living according to their new identity. And we quote this oftentimes, again, in the wrong manner in which the Lord applies the Scripture. It says, don't you realize that those who work outside of what is right to God or those who practice unrighteousness have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? Do not fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sins, worship of idols, committing adultery, practicing homosexuality, who are thieves, who are greedy people, who are drunkards, who are abusive and cheat people, none of these will have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And there's where we stop. That's not what he says. And such were some of you. You're not that anymore, so cut it out. That's what he's saying. Be who heaven says you are. Stop being who you were. That's the idea. And you were once like that, but you have been cleansed. Say it with me. I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I am made holy. That's right. And you were made right with God by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So what happens? We come to Christ. 
This is where people say, well, I'm like this and I'm like that and I'm like this. And everybody wants to tell, tell you who they are and what they are. And they want to justify their behavior. What the truth of the gospel says is that when you come into Christ, it doesn't matter who you were. You are a new creation. And your moment forward is to live from that identity. It's not, well, I've been this way, my family's been this way, this is the way we always are. And this is why what we see, we see oftentimes in churches, we see people who are well-meaning and they're born again, but they are not changed. They are not transformed. Church's way of managing that is by putting externals around them. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. And so we externally manage people. You know, we put an external management on them, but that oftentimes produces no results at all. And what, actually what it produces is legalism. And so what, what needs to happen is that we need to understand who we are and we need to live from our identity. The Christian needs to understand who they are and live from it. Identity is the issue. It, identity solves it all. Solves everything. You're confused about who you are. You're confused about your sexuality. You're confused about relationships. You're confused about your future. Understand who you are. All things will be resolved. What often happens between, with Christians especially is we are symbiotically bound to the gospel. In other words, to the degree that we yield to it is the degree that we will be blessed. To the degree that we yield to the gospel of the kingdom is to the degree that we become who we are. But what Christians do is we got one foot here, and we say it this way, one foot in the world. And what ends up happening is we're staggering between two opinions. And the Christian is confused. We should not be confused. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given you the mind of confusion. If you're confused, what you're really confused about is who you are. That's where the root of your confusion, who you are. All this is happening to me. I just can't believe all this has happened to me. More than a conqueror, rise up. Take authority. Take your rightful place. All things work out to the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. Stand in your identity. Know who you are. But as been so often in my life, I want to be something or someone the kingdom is not calling me to. And it's not because what God is calling me to is less. This is the deception of the devil. He wants you to believe that what God has for you is less than what you have for you. What a lie. When we fully understand what God has for us, it's far greater and far richer than anything we could possibly imagine. But those doors and that revealing of what he really has only comes as we press in. Only comes as we begin to deny ourselves and lay our lives down. That's the only way it opens up to us. It will not unfold to us in any other way. So Paul is calling them to their new identity because they're new people. Next slide, please. We are a new expression, a new way of living. With the Lord's authority, I say this. What's this? Live no longer as Gentiles. Stop living like everybody else, Christian. High karate. You know? No longer live as a Gentile. You're not a Gentile. You're not a beggar, right? That's not who you are. Why? Because they're hopelessly confused. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing. They're guessing. Most people in the world that don't have Jesus, you ever talk to them? They're guessing. Guessing. Jumping from one thing to the next, trying to figure out if this is where the life is. Trying to figure it out. You shouldn't be guessing. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life of God because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. I know what I want. I know who I am. I don't need God. It's all this other stuff. They have no sense of shame. They live for selfish pleasure and eagerly practice impurity. What is it saying? You are not that. That is not what you have learned in Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off, throw it off, 
your old sinful nature. You see the partnership that has to happen here? You have to do something in order for this to come to pass. You have to realize who you are, and you have to throw off your garments. You can wear the dirty, stinking clothes if you want to, but you don't have to. Throw it off. That's not who you are. It's one of the biggest keys of addiction counseling, is getting people to understand they're not drug addicts. They've learned that if they can get them to change their mind, that's almost 60% of what needs to happen for a person to be able to overcome addictions. It's not all of it, but it's a huge part of it. When they understand that, you're not a drug addict, you're not a loser, you're not a this, you're not a that, or whatever. When they can get them to understand that. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned what comes from him, throw off your old sinful life, which is corrupted and deceitful. Instead, here it is, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. See the partnership with the Spirit? Holy Spirit, it's essential. Put on the new nature, created to be like Jesus, righteous and holy. Stop telling lies if you're a liar. Let us tell our neighbors what is true, for we are all part of the same body. Do not let sin and anger control you. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, do the hard work. Give generously to others. Don't use foul language. If you've got a problem with your mouth, cut it out. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouraging to those who are around them. So if you like to tear people down, it's telling you to take on the opposite spirit. This is, again, when we're giving something up, this is what happens. People come to Christ. When you give something up and you release something, you must fill it with something. And you must respond in the opposite spirit. If you were greedy, live generously. If you have an abusive mouth, begin to bless and encourage. Begin to operate in the opposite spirit. Do not bring sorrow from the, on the Holy Spirit by the way you're living. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you that you will be saved from the, in the day of redemption, on the day of redemption. Here again, he's telling us to become something, and he's pointing us to the power from which that comes, the Holy Spirit, right? So what we do, again, here's what most of us have learned, if we've learned this at all, sometimes we're not even teaching this, is like don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. In other words, manage yourself externally and just, just do the best that you can with that. And what we realize is we're gonna fall, we fall apart. I don't know about you, I, I don't make it very long. I, I'm, I'm good for a couple of weeks of managing me, if that. But if I'm trying to manage me, I fall apart. Some of us fall apart as soon as we hit the freeway. I mean, it's over, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Monday morning, the alarm clock rings, boom, it's over, you know? So we have to learn the Holy Spirit and walk in that new life. Next slide. So we're new, we're new people. We have a new expression, and we're called into a new way of living, and we're called into a new way of thinking. We are to think differently, okay? This is the cultural change. In order to bring about the culture of the kingdom, we have to operate and understand the cultural change that has happened within us, and we have to let it go. Let the Spirit reign in you. Let him show you. If he brings a conviction, don't bring a justification. This is what we do. Holy Spirit convicts us, and we bring a justification. The Lord's like, that's not right. And you go, oh, no, this is, couldn't be more right, Lord. I think this is right. Let the Spirit lead you. If he's showing you an affirmation, don't bring him an excuse. If he's saying, go into this, oh, you don't know, I can't do that, da, da, da. If he's affirming something, begin to yield to what he wants. We have a new way of thinking. I urge you, brothers, in light of God's mercy, to live, be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Why? Because what the Bible's saying, it's the least you can do. The very least you can do is lay your life down. Lay your will down. 
and begin to take up his will and his wants and his desires and live from who he calls you to be. It's the very least you can do. Why? Because Jesus did it for you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Here we are. We're in it, but we're not of it. We are an entirely different culture. There should be an entirely different thing that goes on when the believers get together. That was what was going on in, in, in Corinth. The spirit was moving, and so unbelievers were coming, and they're like, hey, man, what's going on over here? And what the, what the, what the believers were doing, they were having you know, dinner parties, and they're getting wasted at the dinner party, and they're all cutting each other off in the line to get to the food first, right? Oh, pff, get out of the way. Taking all the lasagna and leaving a little plate. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then so the new believers coming in and they're thinking, oh, this we're trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Okay, wow, they're just getting wasted and partying out, right? Oh, wow, you know, I, I, all the food's gone by the time I get there, you know. They have no respect for the boundaries with one another. They're engaging in all kinds of crazy stuff. They were suing each other. They were doing all kinds of nonsense with each other. Paul's like, are you kidding me? Come on, wake up. It's not who you are. So that, that mindset's very common for Christians to have when they come into the kingdom because they've not learned Christ. Then you will be able to reveal and approve the will of God. The will of God will be released in your life when you begin to yield to Him. Oftentimes, I say this a lot, Christians want to know the will of God. What's God's will for my life? I go, do you want to know it because you want to obey it or do you want to know it because you want to figure out whether you want to obey it or not? What the Bible is telling you here is you will never know the will of God for your life until you start yielding. The fullness of God's revelation and the fullness of what God has for you, the fullness of your destiny will never be revealed to you until you begin to submit yourself as a living sacrifice. It says, what's it say there? Do this and then you'll be able. There's the condition. You want the will of God? He's got one. But not if you won't yield. Because even the fact that we want to know it, well, I want to know and see if it's what I want. If it's not what I want, well, then I'm going to... You're still the sovereign of your life. You haven't yielded your will. We become Christians, we're born again in the Spirit, but we have not yielded our will. We have not yielded our finances. We have not yielded our bodies. We have not yielded our time. We have not yielded our service. That's the gospel of the kingdom. You can be born again, saved, and going to heaven and unyielded in your time, unyielded in your will, unyielded in your money, unyielded in your body, unyielded in your service. We got lots of that. But the gospel of the kingdom says bring it all under Christ so that the will of God can be known. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. See, here's the deal. The, 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 it's available to you, but you have to do something, right? you got to do something. You have to set your heart on things above. You have to make an intentional choice that I am not going to think common. You have to make an intentional choice that I am not going to think average. I'm going to think as heaven thinks. I'm going to see as heaven sees. So what happens with, with Jonathan and his armor bearer? Everybody's thinking in terms of limitations. The Philistines got us outnumbered, and there's a giant who's going to kill anybody who goes out there. David didn't think in terms of limitations. Jonathan, the, Syri the army, the Philistines had surrounded his father. His father's freaking out. And Jonathan started thinking, wait a second. It doesn't matter if God saves by many or by few. He's God. He began to think outside of the box. He began to think outside of the average. He set his mind on things above. You have to do that. You have to do that. And you have to ask the Lord to expand your understanding. Huh? You know what the Lord's taught me lately? Because I keep feeling this release of more and more stuff. I'm kind of engaging roots that I had laid in my life years ago. 
and I'm engaging it. And the Lord just told me, he said, if you cannot learn to hold the anointing I've given you, you will not be able to increase it. What does that mean? If you can't manage what he's already given you, he will not increase it. You can't learn to hold it. You can't learn to hold what he's given you. you then you will not increase it. We increase by learning to handle and learning to let God expand our capacity to do what it is he's called us to. I've asked God for great and mighty things. I've been praying and pressing in for certain things. You know what the Lord told me? This is a word for some of you here this morning. You know what he told me? You can't handle it, Kevin. You know he told me? He told me that. He said, you're not big enough. That's what I heard in my spirit. You're not big enough to handle what you're asking for. You know what my response was? Make me bigger. Then make me bigger. Because I can't make me bigger. You know what I told him? If you've got to genetically change me, then genetically change me. If you've got to change the way that I think, if you've got to pull me apart emotionally so that I can carry what it is that, you, that I'm asking to carry, if you've got to stretch me spiritually so that I become strong enough to carry what it is, what it, I'm asking you for, we just think it comes through Shazam. Shazam, there it is. It doesn't come through that. You ask the Lord and he begins to press on you to make changes. You seek the Lord and he begins to engage you. And we think he's going to do it all. He's not going to do anything. He's going to partner with you. And you got to be willing. you got to be willing. You start telling Jesus to take your world apart, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take your world apart. You start asking Jesus to transform you from the inside out, he's going to transform you from the inside out. Because what he does is he's taking you higher. The limitations are with us. Our limitations are our thinking, our limitations are our understanding, our limitations are our emotional capacities. Some of us have such shallow emotional capacities. As soon as the wind blows, we fall apart. Do we ever think the glory's gonna come through us? Do we ever think the glory's gonna come to us? Not until we learn to hold it, right? Until we learn to understand, dude, I fall apart every time this happens. Lord, you need to make me stronger. We've got to learn these things. We've got to allow these things to take place. It's not God's will that you fall apart. You say, I fall apart all the time. He's trying to show you you're weak. Let him make you stronger. Let him make you stronger. And it only comes through, Lord, you, only you can do this. And we only say that in a patronizing way. We just give him a little lip service because the Holy Spirit shows up and says, let's get to work. Let's look at your ugly attitude, Kevin. Oh, I don't want to look at that. Let's look at your big mouth, Sally. Oh, I don't want to look at that. <laughs> Just let, let's look at your limited understanding into the things you think you know that you really don't know. Oh, I don't want to look at that. I want to keep pretending like I know everything. You got to let him show you. You got to let him show you and you got to humble yourself beneath what it is that he's showing you and say, I know nothing. Oh, I got a big mouth. Oh, I got a bad attitude. Oh, I got this or oh, I got that. Oh, I don't like to work. Oh, I don't like whatever it is. Let him point it out. You're not big enough to carry what you're asking me for. Huh? What did he say to the Syrophoenician? You don't give what's holy to dogs. He pushes you back to see if you're going to push back in. Oh, I can't believe Jesus said to you, you're not big enough. Oh, you're a man of God. You're this and this and this and this. We don't know what I'm asking him for. We're ask, we ask him, call upon me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of. He draws us into asking him for bigger things. He's not afraid of your limitations. He wants to expand your abilities. But you gotta let him, and you gotta partner with him, right? And you gotta stop making excuses as to why. <laughs> I go to the front of the line on that one, all right? Anybody want the glory? 
Huh? If you don't want the glory, why do you follow Christ? Because it's all about the glory. We want the glory. We want the glory in our lives. We want the glory through our lives. We want the glory in our generation. This is what your spirit is yearning for. This is what your spirit is hungry for. You're not hungry for another sermon. Now, sermons are great. You're not hungry for another worship experience. Worship experiences are great. You want the glory. It's the glory. God's glory. Change me, Jesus. Whatever you got to do, change me. Do not leave me the same. That's got to be the cry of our hearts. Person without the Spirit does not expect the things of the Spirit. Why? Because the things of the Spirit are, fully, are spiritually discerned. Jesus said, if I speak to you of earthly things and you can't comprehend it, how will you get it when, you, when I speak to you of spiritual things? You've got to realize, a lot of stuff that's, spo that's spoken, a lot of prophetic stuff that's spoken, a lot of spiritual stuff that's spoken, there are Christians that are so dull they don't even understand prophetic word. And I'm not talking about understanding it and being open to it. I'm talking about not understanding it and openly rejecting it. Why? Because they're not spiritual. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We cannot understand them because they are discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about things, but such a person is not subject merely to human judgment. You're in the Spirit. The Lord is your governing authority. You're not under what people think of you and what people don't think of you. When you're in the Spirit, live from the Spirit. There's a person, a friend of mine, he just left town, and uh, I wrote, I post, I gotta, I gotta close. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, can I tell you the story real quick? Because it kind of rolls in, or otherwise I'm gonna feel like I didn't fully bring the message. So there's a person that's leaving town, and I'd known him for a few years, and he had invited us to a going away party, which we weren't able to make, and I wanted to really bless the guy. And he's not really of the spiritual bend at all. He's more of just, you know, kind of, you know, Christian like that, you know, which fine, whatever. So, but I wrote this really, I just felt like the Lord was giving me this word for this guy, and I wrote this really long post on his Facebook wall and just blessed him, you know, just released it. Because I was in the spirit, so I just blessed him. Then when I wasn't in the spirit, I started judging myself and saying, what did you say? You know, that was so stupid. That was so, you know, gooey. That was so, like, out there. I mean, you know, but I'm not subject to that judgment. Why? Because I was in the spirit when I did it. Do you understand that? It is in the spirit. When it is done from the spirit, you are not subject to that. Against love, there is no law. In the spirit, there is no limitation. You know, his wife wrote me back, wow, what a wonderful prayer, Kevin. That was really encouraging. But it wasn't a prayer. It was a declarative word. You know, I was declaring over his life, and I was calling out who he was, and I was calling out what I felt like God was going to do with his life. That was what I was doing. And it was pretty bold, you know. It's pretty out there. He didn't ask me for it. I just gave it to him because I felt the Lord telling me to leave it and release that love into his life. So that's what I did. You're not subject to that judgment from the Spirit. You worship the Lord. You give him the glory. You weep before him. And then you leave and you go, oh, my gosh, I cried so much in church today. What's wrong with me? It's before the Lord. You're not subject to man's judgment because it's from the Spirit. You understand that? You understand that? You shouldn't even judge yourself. Paul said, I don't even judge myself. For I am rightly judged by no man. Hmm? But there's one who judges me. The only one that matters is Jesus. And you know what he likes? He likes his people to cry and weep before him. Read your Bible. He likes his people to shout. Read your Bible. He likes his people to dance. Read your Bible. Right? Because it's what he likes. But we pass judgment on such things. Because we don't understand it. It's what Jesus likes. Let him have it. Give Jesus what he wants. Let him have it. Weep, woman. Come on. Give me those tears. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mmm. Mmm. You know, she's wiping his feet with his tears, and Jesus is like, yep. Yep. He didn't stop her. He didn't pick her up and go, no, no, you don't need to do that. He let her pour her love out to him. He let her pour her brokenness out to him. There's no judgment. You see the, the worldly people judging her. Oh, look at that woman. <laughs> Jesus said, you don't get it at all. You have no understanding of honor. This woman honors me. Break the alabaster box over him. Pours her love out over him. Judas is like, you wasted it. Judas is the embodiment of worldly thinking. Our thoughts are to be kingdom-oriented. I think it's the last slide. I hope. <laughs> we've been renewed. We've been called out. We've been called into to express our new nature. So we're renewed internally, called out from, called into, to express from. Do we understand that? What often, here's what happens. This is the metamorpho. It's a speed transforms. The word metamorphosis. Christians were born again, so we're renewed. But we don't understand that we're called out from. And we don't understand that we're called into. And we don't understand that we're supposed to manifest from. We got that? So most Christians are right here, and they're no different. Born again and saved, but if you look at their life, their attitudes, their actions, everything about them, everything about even their nature, it's, it, you, you wouldn't know they were Christian if you met them on the street. But we'd have to understand that we're not a part of that, that we're part of this kingdom. And we're not to focus on the negative world that we weren't a part of. We're to focus on the world that we are a part of. We're to draw from the world that we are a part of, and we're to make that known upon the earth. Yeah. We're to be as he is. We're to value what he values. This is kingdom culture. We are like him, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So when you're in the spirit, you're like Jesus. Woo! Aren't you glad? I always tell people, you like you when you're in the spirit. You know what I'm saying? Because if we're honest, we don't like ourselves sometimes. We're frustrated. We're mad at ourselves and all kinds of stuff. But you get in the spirit, man, you like you. You're like, wow, I, I like me. I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. You know, I'm a pretty cool dude. Right? And I'm in the spirit. I'm like, what is my problem? You know, you like other people when you're in the spirit. So why we're like Christ, we are as he is when in the spirit. We value what he values from the spirit, not what the culture values, but what what matters to the Lord, what matters to the father. That's what we bring forth. We express what he expresses. We're set apart by what is true. We're sent into a system to reveal what heaven says. This is the mandate upon the believer's life. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim what? The gospel. What gospel? The gospel of the kingdom. Although he doesn't say it in Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom is what is implied throughout the entirety of the New Testament. The gospel of the kingdom is the primary understanding. So when Jesus is going to all the world and proclaim the gospel, what is he saying? It's implied that we understand that we're to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And how do we do that? We understand that we're set apart. We understand who we are. We understand what we're doing. It changes your life, Christian. It changes your life. You want the Spirit to move through you? Anybody ever watch Nacho Libre? Huh? Yeah? No? Nobody's ever seen it? I love that movie. Anyway, we saw it. It was for free. I'm like, watch, let's watch Nacho Libre. He's going to go into a wrestling match, and he's trying to get this guy to go in and wrestle with him. And the guy's named Steven. He's like, Steven, don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like. <laughs> Stephen goes, no, and keeps walking. So anyway, <laughs> we want to taste the glory, man. We want to see the Lord moving through our lives and expressing himself through our lives and through our families and through our, our, our world and our circumstances. Say this with me. It's never perfect, but it can be beautiful. Mm. And we bless you.
I'm going to speak life over you this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace in every way. And may you forever live in his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.